Welcome to Podcast 1999, a podcast about Space 1999. I'm your host, Mark. This is Matt. This is Matt, continuing and a then, series of frog casts where my voice is uh, rather ruptured. You, you were <laughs> higher before we started. Maybe I was. I, I, was, I, was it now. I was leaning into the Barry White a bit, yes. Oh, well, we also have... <laughs> just going to do Batman. Uh, we also have our special guest, Earl Green from Mission Log, returning. And uh, I should mention Earl's recently been doing the Gene Eology podcast, looking into Gene Roddenberry's 50s, 1950s television scripts, which basically serves as a graduate course on both uh, TV history and and Gene Roddenberry. So how's that been working out for you, Earl? I've been loving it so far. I mean, everything's everything's been a bit of a surprise to me. Um, Some of the stuff that I had seen quite some time back you know around the time i first was starting to pitch the show as an idea for a podcast but then we got into the archives and i started seeing scripts that i'd only heard about before and it's it's kind of amazing it's a lot of fun and we uh you know we hope to keep digging into the archives and kind of blowing everyone's minds with this stuff because you guys are in what Highway Patrol right now, which you can watch a few episodes of, but uh, the older shows were kind of fun just because you have to paint the mental picture in your mind since there's no video around. Right. And we always dramatize a little bit of a scene before we do the synopsis to kind of you know, kind of bring it to some kind of life, some small part of it. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, I will give that my wholehearted recommendation as it was a... Uh, nice pivot during strike time and it sounds like it's going to continue so yeah for sure i i learned things i'd like most people i just assume you know for when i was younger i just assumed that all these things come into the world fully formed and jim henson didn't do anything before the muppets and uh, rod sterling didn't do anything before the twilight zone but there's always stuff back there well if you count sound and friends as the muppets he didn't really do much before the muppets he did that entire <laughs> it's sex and violence, man. Yeah. Oh no, no. Sam and Friends, nineteen fifties, was his first Muppets. But geez, that's a lot. Yeah, I know. That's, that's way back. <laughs> so many Muppets. It's great. <sighs> Today, even though, I don't know. There are no Muppets in this. Although one of our characters starts acting a little bit like a Muppet <laughs> uh, in the third act. Uh, it's the last sunset, uh, in which the moon encounters gravity and atmosphere and mushrooms. <laughs> Or something like that. Now I'm picturing animal going wild. (laughs) We stay, we stay. Ah! (laughs) You can't have sunshine without rain. You can't have mushrooms without rain moisture. You can't have a man going berserk and fighting the commander without mushrooms. Right. Which, you know, you think you need a keg of beer for that. It's like the the stand-up comics where it's like, yeah, no one, you know, people just fall on their butt when they get high. You know, it's the drunks that get in the fights. But hey, this is Alien Sun, so who knows what it does. Of course. 
this is this is probably this is probably made by not a single person who's ever done mushrooms <laughs> you, you just have to assume that in a lot of cases i wouldn't assume that uh <laughs> you, you know the writers may not have uh mark you want to give us hit us up on some trivia for this trivia can't have trivia without mushrooms Charles Crichton is back to direct. He last saw his work in Guardian of Piri. He'll be back for four more episodes in season one and six in season two. This one was written by Christopher Penfold along with the Andersons. The last we saw his work was Alpha Child, although he also wrote Guardian of Piri before that. Uh, sorry, I'm trying not to be confusing. Uh, he's back for five more this season. <laughs> this is one of the story ideas that was actually laid out during the pre-production of the series, and some of the scenes were filmed outside in the studio lot. Uh, this episode was designed to save money, but it actually ended up costing more than usual because it was harder to conceal the wire suspending the eagles on the against the blue sky, and there was no stock footage of eagles flying through a blue sky that they could use. Uh, most of the other trivia in IMDb is about how scientifically inaccurate the episode is. Uh, it is the only episode of the series to only star the cast regulars and no one else. No guests. So, speaking of regulars, let's do a little spotlight on star of stage and screen Barbara Bain. If you're wondering why it took me so long to do this for our second build cast member, I've just barely finished trivia on time for the last eight episodes. <laughs> and also, I was stalling so it'd be less noticeable if there's overlap with Martin Landau's. Yes, I wrote all that out. <laughs> um, maybe let's just pretend that this bio is happening before another time, another place. <clears throat> anyway, Barbara Bain was born Mildred Fogel, September 13th, 1931. That's not only September 13th, but it's 9131931. So September 13th, 1999 would be her 68th birthday. So close. Anyway, she was born in Chicago, graduating from the University of Illinois with a degree in sociology. She later moved to New York, where she studied as a dancer and a model, but then discovered her true love was acting when studying with Lee Strasberg at the actress studio, where she also met her future husband, and co-star Martin Landau. They were married in 1957, almost a decade before Mission Impossible started airing. They had two children together and remained married until 1993, which was just three years before the first Tom Cruise Mission Impossible movie premiered. Bain has stated that she refuses to see any of those films because they are not like the series she starred in. Speaking of that series, Bain is best known for starring in it as the character Cinnamon Carter. She became the first actress ever to win three consecutive Emmys for Best Dramatic Actress, and she got a Golden Globe nomination along the way. <clears throat> She's currently the oldest living cast member of the original series and received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2016. She's worked with a number of charitable causes and is the founder of Screen, Actor Guild's, Screen Actors Guild's Books, Book Pals problem. program. <laughs> I'm sorry, my brain fell apart. Uh, Screen Actors Guild Book Pals program which has hundreds of actors reading to children in los angeles schools uh outside of that you can see her in my mother the car a summer without boys and don't go near the park she still she has several acting <laughs> i guess she still has several acting credits from recent years so the bane train shows no signs of slowing down how long Trivia did it take over. to think of bane train i just as uh, a callback to three episodes ago okay because I said um, the McShane train had no... Now I've ruined it by explaining it. 
Yeah, yeah, that's the best way to tell a joke by explaining it. Uh, yeah. I, I sort of forced that on you, though. Okay. It's the reference age. I'll try and give a silky smooth synopsis then. <laughs> People just want quotables. Give them something to quote. Like my entire synopsis I'm about to read? Yep. Uh-huh. Okay. Moonbase Alpha is surveying a possibly habitable world that they've named Ariel. But an incoming satellite puts a kibosh on the mission. Dolphins don't know if it's friend or foe. And then the satellite begins gushing atmosphere and is joined by many more doing the same. And then they adjust gravity on the moon to Earth normal. Realizing the moon now has breathable air, the Alphans set about playing badminton and kindling romances. Hopefully the moon will be caught in the sun's orbit and they will have found their new home. Eagle 2-8 sets off on a reconnaissance mission, but ends up crashing in the lunar wilderness with crew member Sandra possibly mortally injured. Moonbase Alpha's efforts to, uh, to recover them are stymied by corrosion issues on the Eagles. Technicians figure out a way to modify the other Eagles to fly, but Victor Burbing chimes in with the bad news that the moon will not be achieving orbit around the sun. Things get tense in the crashed Eagle, and Paul sets out to find the moon base on foot. This fails miserably, but he does find a strange fruit that both fills him with energy and trips him out. He sets up a camp and tries to get his marooned crew members to join his crusade to restart humanity amongst the four of them. When they disagree, Paul gets violent. Fortunately, Commander Koenig and a working eagle finds them just before the moon loses atmosphere. They have a fist fight and get back to the moon base. As they leave orbit, the aliens finally communicate, basically saying that humans suck too hard to live in their solar system. Well, at least the Alphans get one last sunset. So I did. I gave you the titular line. There you go. You said yeah. the line. Said the line. Dur, dur, dur. I, I'm wondering if uh, I will, of course, tell you what my favorite shot in this is. But would anyone? Oh, did you like to tell me your oh. favorite shot? Oh, my favorite is absolutely when Alan just kicks the mushrooms after seeing Paul <laughs> being insane. Okay, that is absolutely my favorite. That's cool. Earl, do, did you have a favorite shot in this episode? I've got to give the effects guys kudos for that last transition from sunset to the cold blackness of space over the model landscape. That is chef's kiss material, even by this show's standards. You are correct, but I like the shot just before that where we see Paul back in... Um, main mission just like oh, sorry guys <laughs> and everyone's kind of like giggling about it it's like a freeze yeah. frame that's like yeah that's not a freeze frame <laughs> and and you get a little you get a sort of a little passing comment from koenig sort of just like yeah that's right i i kicked i beat you up <laughs> he didn't say exactly that but it was almost that basically he was it's, just it's, sort of it's like they're hitting the reset button like in the goofiest way possible, but like in you know, it's you don't not between episodes. You're seeing it right at the end of the but episode. The reset button has been pressed just before. But this is the thing. A part of I I could go on for a while about why this is my favorite episode. Part of it is that basically it has a very like tangible climax, and it's basically these two immovable objects of Koenig at his most impatient and impetuous and angry. Coming up against a man who has just eaten alien mushrooms and is in love. It is just insane. Um, 
that per- punctuated by Helena blowing up an eagle with a bazooka. Oh yeah, that was wait, cool did too. she blow up an eagle? I couldn't even tell what she blew up. Yeah, she I was think blowing it was up an eagle because the eagle yeah, was buried under sense. moon yeah. dust. Because they were in in a shack next to the eagle to try and survive. So, uh, Earl, how does this one sit with you? Of course, uh, you you know I, you chose this off the list and uh, right rightly so. But what, what's the special yeah. sauce here? I have so many. I I kind of like the fact that there are no guest stars. I, I, the only outside force we really get is a voiceover as the last blue air bucket is leaving us. But this is this is down to them. And, you know, while Koenig is protesting the, you know, the alien planet's insistence that humans are just, you know, not peaceful and not ready and, you know, they, they're just reducing property values throughout this entire solar system wherever they go. They have just kind of proven that point themselves. And so, you know, the, the crew is kind of their own worst enemy here. They can't get out of their own way. Yeah, I did like the... um. I, I guess the suspense is a little bit less on this episode because... When the moon, when the eagle crashes, it's like, well, I guess seventy five, uh, you know, seventy percent of our main cast is now maroon. So obviously, we've got to save them. And uh, I mean, on a seventies TV show, whatever, that's par for the course. But I, I was just thinking that's takes a bit of the suspense out. I guess for a few moments, I was wondering if, uh, if Paul dies here, but I believe Paul dies between seasons instead. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't, I, he's written off. I don't know how. I'm not even really sure that they give him a death. I know there's a novel or something that takes out uh, Victor Bergman. I, I don't remember if Paul also gets that send off or not. Hmm. Well, we'll find out in a number of episodes. Well, you might have to read the books too if you want that answer. But <laughs> we'll we'll tell you what we Google in between seasons. <laughs> or you I, can read the book. You do I, it. I did find the um, satellite to be kind of amazingly droid-like for 1973 or so. Like it definitely had a kind of a yeah. proto R two D two look. It was cool. It looked cool. However, watching it, I was basically screaming at my television. Why did you? Why did this thing that attached itself? Why did this thing that show up? You just took it into a room and have all the commanding staff in a room with it that's sealed and just oh, let's see what we can do with it. It's just insane. It was one of the most insane things. Of, it's it's up there with Prometheus. Like, hey, let's touch this little alien guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, my note here is the crew of the Nostromo is way more careful than this. And look what happened there. <laughs> yeah, all, all my notes are just in all caps at this part. This is like basically a good thing it isn't a bomb. It, this basically is the show turning into C-Lab 2021 for a minute. We're cute again. Daleks. They're kind of like cute dollars yeah. too, maybe. Well, you know, good thing for them, it wasn't a bomb, <laughs> or or gassing them with ammonia or something. <laughs> to to be fair, they do take it back out like relatively quickly. It's like after the, and this is the thing. Regardless of how stupid it was, it looked really cool. The gassing sequence looked awesome, but it was also just destroying stuff. The pressure was blowing doors off the hinges and stuff like that it was really um uh ridiculous 
I am curious, at what point would you be willing to test the atmosphere? Did they test enough here? Mm. Well, I I don't know how good their equipment is. That's that's the best answer I have. It's like in I, Star Trek, they just go beep boop. Oh, atmosphere's good. Yeah, I feel like they don't have that tech. Um No, they don't, but but it's somewhere somewhere in between that and you know, real tech. They take a little more time than the crew of the Prometheus, so so that that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um or or when when are you willing to test the alien landscape with your with your uh respiratory system? I think they got to it pretty quick, but in fairness, they only have like what fifty-one minutes to do so. So it's one of those things where you just kind of have to chalk it up to the the necessities of of one hour TV. I I remember there was a uh, document that was circulated among the writers of Star Trek: The Next Generation. And it was sort of like, how do the automatic doors work? Why do they open sometimes, and not at other times when someone's turning around before they leave to make a point. And the answer was they are powered by dramatic necessity. <laughs> nice. Although um, even in the real world, we have our, our weird world of algorithms, which seem to break oh. science in real time. Uh, the most recent one being um, Saturday night, I get an email from my daughter asking if I have like another guitar capo, which is the thing you stick on a neck to change the key. If you don't know, but yeah. um I had been getting like Amazon, you know, ads for like two weeks about guitar capos. So it was like, it feels like, you know, digital psychic or something. Maybe she was using your computer to search for capos and wasn't telling you. I don't think so. But <laughs> And then she just gave up and decided to just borrow one of yours. That could be the case. I don't I'm know. I'm one of those people. I'm. That's the other thing is that immediately after I said something about testing the atmosphere, not to stay on that forever but we live in a society where basically when this was made people were still breathing leaded gasoline and cigarettes and asbestos so i don't even how do we how do we test for things that we don't know exist or don't know are actually problems like we need i don't know bergman's trip we're terrible i don't know terrible rightly terrible at, at knowing what to breathe as historically yeah, I think um, what was it? I just uh, Lahore, Pakistan. I think they just had to like tell everyone to stay inside yesterday for for you know reasons like that. It's like basically every I've I've been to a few like controlled demolitions because it's fun to watch things like that. And after the first one or two of those, I was just like, oh, I got it. I got to start masking up for this and running away from it and staying as far away as I can. This is uh, scary. I do like the the bath towels return. Maybe that's the Italian producers again. Because I have a note mm-hmm. like no bath towels. Maybe bring those out for the downpour, not your often uniforms when oh. they go out in the rain. But then oh, two, yeah, we cut two scenes later. They're they're running around in bath towels again. So I do like we cut that's, immediately that's that outfit casual. I think running around in a blue bath towel. It's just they can't stop, man. They can't they can't stay away from the beach. It's it's like the holodeck for them. Moon Beach. <laughs> the beach. That's that's super hip. Yeah, it's Sandy. But apparently, according to some of the IMDb trivia, you don't actually want to go and hang out on the moon. Like it will kill you. You can't breathe that. You can't breathe moon dust. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know the uh, oh. Apollo astronauts had like lots of trouble 
you know, once they'd get back into the lander with with moon dust and stuff. So mm-hmm. getting back into the ship was at least as like three times as difficult as getting out of the ship. Um hmm. So right, where do um, we begin? It's like I I I we could poke holes in the science all day long, but it's 70 science. It's not very it's fun. fun. I think this episode made me think a lot of the the you know the long gone Epcot uh, horizons more than mm-hmm. usual maybe because they have like all the hexagonal crates and stuff out in the uh when when Paul is trying to build a camp and I don't know what something about this made me feel like we were seeing more just like uh that kind of future stylized 70s future like even more maybe it's because we're seeing it with a blue sky behind that might have something to do with it probably uh, this i mean it doesn't look like you're on earth when you're in space right yeah <laughs> definitely did, did, did you guys have a chance to to do horizons when it existed yes i think i did it twice okay but same same day right <laughs> earl did you ever make it down to epcot for that i have never been to epcot Ah, okay. You gotta go to eighties Epcot though. Eighties Epcot. Yeah, it's too late now. It's like the space nineteen ninety nine theme park. I mean, there's still elements of that, but uh, just go to just go to Space Mountain and ride that over and over. You don't need anything else. (laughs) I've heard. I've heard. I've heard the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy ride is apparently the. A lot of people say it's the best dark ride ever made by a a significant margin. So, or best enclosed roller coaster. That is a different and, statement there, but <laughs> well, it's yeah, yeah, okay. Best, it, I don't know, it might be the best dark ride, it might just be the best indoor ride ever made. But people stack it up against say it's much better than the mommy returns, which is to me the best. That's my favorite ride, period. Yeah, so right before the eagle crashed, my note is like so much, so much. So much hope and optimism, maybe in that Horizons mold. That's why I was thinking of it. So that's the point. I'm like, oh, this episode is going to get dark and weird, isn't it? <laughs> like, there's no way you, we're going to maintain this optimism level uh, just before the eagle crashes. <laughs> there was one line that really kind of infuriated me, which is uh, Kano says having an well, they're having they're starting to have trouble with the eagles. It's just the beginning of the the dread part. And Kano says having that mystery is a mixed blessing. And Koenig says, not for me, it isn't. <laughs> that is just, that just reminds me of the worst, the worst times that I said the stu- most stupid things. Yeah. It's just the, the dumbest thing to say because uh, it's wrong. <laughs> in it's the wrong. department of answering questions we've had, uh, I think Kano says specifically there are 27 serviceable eagles. So now we mm-hmm. know. Well, 26 after this episode 26 yep <laughs> now we're down to 26 counting down should i keep start keeping count <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes sure you, somebody else you, you keep count not me <laughs> so um paul and sandra do we do we ship that i wrote a few names down they, they did say something about they're not allowed to have those feelings inside alpha so that might be just this and, and never again well, the force of life couple seem to have something going on, but he also I mean, turned not into a murdering nobody. alien infected psychopath. Guest stars only. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Also, they were married. I don't think you're not allowed to do that if you're not married on this, this show, probably. Um, did anyone has anyone 
noticed that as we go along in production order, it feels like the the uh, Koenig Russell relationship is just going further and further into the background, and it doesn't seem to be a factor at all anymore. Yeah, but you moved on too quickly because I wrote down my shipping names for Paul and Sandra. I okay, what are they? Pondra and uh, Sandal. Sandal. Okay, here's one. Spawn. <laughs> That's their child. <laughs> yeah. Second baby born on Alpha. Okay, mo- moving on to the Landau and, and Bane thing. I mean, they were kind of cool to start with. Uh, I, they there seemed to be they seemed to push them a little bit more because they were supposed to be married in um, another time, another place. Um, I, I guess it's just in this episode in particular, you know, commanders got to command, and you also think they're, another... they're, in, they're in different places the whole episode. Do you think that another time, another place effectively killed their desire for a relationship because they saw what it led to? Been there, done that. Or just dying? Well, he crashes in an eagle and dies, so. He died first. <laughs> do, you think, do you think that maybe it's the thing where they see that and it's like, we're fated never to be together because if we are together, we'll die? I don't think so probably not i think i think they just stopped bothering to write it into the scripts they stare at each other a lot or what kind of steam do you see between them at this point the uh the scripts were written so out of order yeah some of them much much earlier than others and there seemed to be you know so i i've done some some reading on this since the last show we did there's there's a wide variance in the quality of the scripts because everyone was getting different notes and some of these things were you know in the story oven for a very long time before they came out and the production team had different thoughts on whether or not Koenig and Helena were a couple of any kind Wow. Um, I tried searching about this and I found 51 fan fictions about them hooking up. Okay. That doesn't even compare to the number of Kirk Spock <laughs> ones, of course, but. No, of course. <laughs> I'm to see that, if I can find ones where it's, where it's like John and Alan. Do they get together? <laughs> On a one computer. Uh, Ooh, yep, yeah. Slash. Uh, Alan Paul. The show. Only one Alan Paul story. Okay. It's called Both Sides of the Sun. <laughs> anyway. I don't, I don't know why that makes me giggle, but it did. <laughs> it is kind of fun. I'm just looking um, through your... So through. so they're drinking out of jugs when they're in the survival tent. They're drinking out of jugs that are labeled one and two. What do you guys think are in the one and two jugs? They, that's a little confusing. They could be for waste as well. <laughs> they're just drinking out of... the. You put your one in this jug, you put your two in this jug. Oh, boy. It, I mean, well, with two, you should be able to work it out if it's good. So use jug two if you're using it for water, because that one's very clear that that's <laughs> going to be water. It just, they both look like they have water in them. That is um, one thing. Paul is kind of a, well, he's a poo-poo liar and a basically breaking orders before he eats the shrooms and goes nuts i mean he tells well tells sandra a little white lie to make her feel better about drinking the water which i mean whatever that's fine uh but then leaves kind of against 
orders, I guess. Although, again, it's not a military operation. So is orders the right word or I don't know. Listening I, to your boss? I think protocol is the right word, but it seemed like he was trying to figure out something so they could survive. I was unclear on how far away they were from from Alpha on the moon. And I, I they, they said stuff about, well, we might never see another eagle ever again, which seems kind of insane. But, um, I had the impression they were quite far away, like to the point where walking yeah. is not a great idea. I it had to be that case, but this it it felt overly dramatic. I guess I'm just thinking in my brain, it's just the moon is really small and it's not. It's not small. Like they clearly like Texas, forgive right? Paul for starting his own weird caught after being on a wild drug trip. But should they be a little pissed at his actions before that? I don't know. What do you all think about that? Maybe. Oh, it's like a quarter the size of Earth. That's huge. That's right. That's my point. It's it's smaller, okay. a lot smaller on Earth, but it's quite okay. big. You could be like, you know, like California, New York distance. No problem. Okay. Yeah. But the other thing is, along with atmosphere, these things brought gravity. And so, you know, you hop into a crater, you're going to go splat a lot faster and a lot harder than you would have in normal lunar gravity. Seem to really conveniently be Earth gravity and Earth sun and Earth sky. And <laughs> it was just sort of a thing where it starts like, raining and they're like, no, it's not. It's great that it's raining. Wait a minute. We might end up in we get we get tossed a little bit that that we're in a crater. So it might just completely flood moon base alpha. But then that never happened. Nothing ever happens with that ever again. Is it moon base alpha airtight, though? But then it would be a real. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. It might not be able to deal with the they pressure, can't. though, because it's on the moon. So, you know, pressure is not an issue. We can't what, open I, the windows anymore. No. Again, with Apollo, the, the walls of that thing were basically like, you know, 10 walls almost like not thick. So the pressure of water might crush moon base alpha. But it's also they're probably you probably couldn't operate the airlock effectively that way so you would probably have a really difficult time getting in and out of the base with ev all your stuff which all your stuff is in there but, but the, the the aliens do explain that it's like we're giving you exactly what you want so of course it's you know water rain it's earth gravity and it's breathable mm -hmm. atmosphere that's what they want so that's what they get uh they now their machines seem relatively omnipotent in doing this but uh you can go with the author c clark thing that any sufficiently developed technology looks like magic, I guess. Yeah, I mean that 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 makes sense, but magically they are able to keep any humans from coming to uh, be part of their world on Ariel. Mm, part, part of, of the, your world. Part of their world. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they 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 don't want that. Is this a Little Mermaid prequel? Yes. Okay. <laughs> they just want legs, and they can't have them the uh, end <laughs> uh, Earl you I told us you, you put out some whack notes and observations on your own on this you want to do we hit any or, or do you have any we didn't hit I should say oh there's there's so many I mean um, I did like panning around you know when we had crew members missing 
you know, panning around main mission at all these people that we have never seen before and never seen again. Everyone looking so expectant, like, wait, did they just kill a bunch of people off? Do I get lines now? 70% of the regular cast, yeah. I like the fact that in the future, everything will be made of orange bubble wrap. Pillows, emergency shelters, you name it. Of course, maybe they tore up the pillows to make the emergency shelters. I have no idea. You wrap those in the hexagonal crates, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you do whatever you can. Um, so we're kind of getting the, the Star Trek vibe of like at least one person. Go, I guess the Star Trek thing is usually all but one person goes crazy, which we've gotten on Space 1999. Here it's just mm -hmm. one person going as whack as possible. Um, how does this rate in the pantheon of people completely losing it due to outside alien influences? <laughs> this is pretty well, it's pretty high, although I don't really feel like the aliens maybe intended that exact result. It feels like a side effect. And I'm not really sure. I'm not really it's just sure. Just a bonus. <laughs> yeah. And maybe everyone was supposed to eat the mushrooms and they were all supposed to go crazy and then that would distract them from uh, entering Ariel's orbit. I'm not entirely clear on what the plan was here, but it was very effective, whatever it was. I guess there's a certain amount where you just throw a wrench into things, you know, like the aliens don't quite know what they're doing, but they know that if they do several things. One of them should work. You know, it just throws everything off kilter. So the moon base can never really figure out how to stay in orbit. I mean, they they were going to pass anyway. There was no way they were going to achieve orbit in the first place, it seems. Would this do you think this counts as MK Ultra for aliens? Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> Probably not, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> Mushroom kill ultra. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm trying to think who else goes completely whack. There's um the the Gary Lackwood and then we're no man's Mon before what Marshall? I forgot Mitchell, Mitchell, Gary Mitchell. Uh, of course he has omnipotent powers, which Paul just has the powers of getting preachy and punchy. So that's not quite, you know, omnipotence, but I feel like on a long enough timeline, everyone on Star Trek goes insane at some point if you have a long enough series. Yeah. My favorite obsession is in the Enterprise series where um, Trip Tucker gets obsessed with uh, renovating the captain's chair. That, that, that may be my favorite bit of uh, sci-fi insanity. I'm never going to get to that series. They're just passing through some it. kind of... Everyone gets obsessed with whatever they're doing when they pass in this radiation. He was working on the captain's mm. chair, so he gets screamy about fixing it, which is... It's like well, what Paul... What about uh, Cisco building his clock? Yeah, that that was. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was. Almost yeah, that was a great though. example for, yeah, for yeah. him as Benny. I mean, that's that's not fair because Benny was legitimately under a lot of pressure. But Benny's the real character and Cisco is the dream. Remember, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Benny was just he was just going insane in an insane world. I do. Yeah, apparently the acting was like flipping people out on set, yeah, that, too. So <laughs> that's why I bring up that example. <laughs> it's like everybody mostly agrees that's one of the best episodes. But I think that everyone was terrified of Avery Brooks when they made it. <laughs> I, I, I doubt anyone was terrified by Paul. I mean, yeah, no. Sorry, I don't have his uh, acting. I mean, it, 
that seems more like it was really fun to shoot. I could be wrong. Hancock. But, yeah. Which really memorable. <laughs> this is almost impossible to forget. Brent is Hancock. I can't remember anybody else's name. I, I guess that. that's an interesting thing. Like you notice Paul's usually there, but Alan Carter is the billing above Paul most of the time. But mm -hmm. in this episode, once he gets high, he suddenly gets very affected and starts acting. <laughs> and suddenly Paul is just like <laughs> flashing off of the screen. And that's, I guess that's one of the charm. He's been kind of milk toast through this entire series. And now he's, you know, hamming it up with a screaming Landau at the end. And, so. and, and yeah, and Alan does have a role to play here, which is that Paul says, tells him about the mushrooms and Alan's like, well, that sounds great. I'd collect a ton of mushrooms right now. And then he sees him tripping out and then kicks the mushrooms in a ridiculous like drop kick. It's, uh, it's so great. So funny because we've all been that guy, right? Like, yeah, I want to do drugs tonight oh maybe not <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like uh my high school or yeah high school homecoming or something where um my friend and i were at the top of a tree because everyone had climbed a tree and we realized that everyone below us was stoned out of our minds so we didn't know how to get out of the tree without knocking people out of the tree which is kind of stressful. Oh, well. <laughs> I guess that's kind of like this episode in a way. <laughs> kind of. So but, what do you guys think about uh, Koenig's absolute rage on how all the eagles aren't ready? <laughs> and he starts screaming things like, he's told it'll take three days to get one, what is it, carbon plated? Uh, graf graphite spray. Graphite. Graphite spray. Then he says, I needed two days. That's a, that kind of annoys me every time that ever happens in anything, because that's not how things work. You can't <laughs> just say, I want, I need it in two days. Like you hire somebody to tell you how many days it's going to take. You don't hire them to lie to you and say, it's going to be three when it could be two. Unless you're Scotty and you say it's three days knowing full well, it's really going to be one day. That's how okay, you well, a miracle worker. But, but he's a genius. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not accusing anyone in Moonbase Alpha of not being a genius, but there may be some people who are not geniuses here. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I, I did write that uh Koenig is a screamy bunny. So if if you're wondering <laughs> how I responded. And a pacey one. He's also pacing while he's screaming. That's that's acting, I guess. Yeah, that's it, power walk pacing though, because I mean, I mean mm -hmm. he's almost like Boimler. He's he's yeah. chugging cross main mission. It's not like a normal person paces. Yeah, it's a deliberate punctuation on his anchor levels. <laughs> of course, you're kind of a, you're kind of cooped up on moon base. Maybe you just start taking on like weird affectations like that, you know, because you can't really power walk anywhere except down a corridor, as as they said a few episodes ago. So it it feels it feels almost like he's more it doesn't feel so much like he's concerned with the people who just went missing as he's just concerned with that the mission is going bad and the atmosphere is not good for, is not perfect and good for everyone which they were kind of ridiculously gung-ho about going out into the atmosphere to start with or else they wouldn't be in the situation it's like they they knew it's like the aliens knew that people would be stupid about it mm -hmm. well the, the aliens had our number didn't they um, no, they're right. Actually, I was thinking though, like you were talking 
about earlier about you know falling into a crater and just eating poo um they have all been under what is the moon's gravity is it half earth gravity i think it's something like one sixth of earth's gravity okay so they uh, 16 points sorry 16.6 percent which is 16 okay that's a low oh sorry one sixth you're right okay oh it is oh okay I'm like that doesn't sound like one six, but it is okay. I was thinking like one half, so one six, and they've mm -hmm. been no one has been off of moon base for the most part for the past six months. Well, okay, they've been on a few other planets, but who knows what gravity they have? I'm just thinking they might Earth gravity know, have some uh, atrophied musculature going on. I <laughs> I hope we live long enough that we can get some real simulated gravity on some of these sets, you know. I would love to see stuff like that. <laughs> Even though I guess we will get Tom Cruise in space. Yeah, I, as I started saying that, I was kind of starting to think, well, I guess they've been on a lot of planets, so I, I should retract my point, I guess. <laughs> Generally, planets are going to have Earth gravity. Planets in Star Trek have Earth gravity. It's just, you just, yeah. It, uh, unless you, what, the, the lady who is from the planet who like couldn't walk in earth's gravity but then she could fly around i <laughs> generally it's earth gravity and everything because <laughs> yeah, every, everything is earth gravity. very hard we don't know how gravity works i guess they point it out so you have to start thinking about it is, is in this episode I, I went into it like most of us have at some point i went into a big deep online discussion on uh is artificial gravity ever going to happen and it sounds like the most likely way to get artificial gravity is to have just a sphere that rotates while it's flying through space. So and then you the, basically would have Earth gravity. So maybe the that. sphere in Vegas is secretly a spaceship and it'll take off sometime soon. I hope so. Because <laughs> you hear that thing lost like $2 billion or something? Like, of course it, it did. It's like bankrupt. Of course it <laughs> like basically, did. Basically, I was hoping to see that thing and it's going to go bankrupt. You know what's going to happen? It's just going to get bought by Tencent and there will just be ads for, for like Temu on the outside of it. Mm. And then it'll be half working. It'll, it'll just be that venue you two used that one time in the end. <laughs> yeah, like so many other venues. Um, Maybe it'll just say you two played here. I don't know. I I want I want to go to it, though. I think it looks cool as hell. Oh, it does look cool. <laughs> it's, it's even one though... Of those even I mean, like most, probably all of us right here having this conversation, I want to go and just have a sick planetarium show. I don't want to go see you two. I don't want to go. I don't want to go see a sporting event. I want like Neil deGrasse Tyson to appear in a huge giant sphere and explain to me things. But uh, you get whatever. blasted through the cosmos and extreme HD. Yeah, I yeah, that'd be cool effects. I can only afford to stand outside and watch it be a giant emoji all day. <laughs> or an eye that's pretty creepy i haven't seen the eye oh yeah, wow i see one that's just a face that looks like a south park face look at the eye tell me if that creeps you out that's hard to look up the sphere eye that's the kind of, i don't know what google's going to give you if you do that oh i found it it okay, looks he found crazy it. yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks scary yeah. yeah, I just want to go and hang out outside of it and stare at it. I don't, I don't need anything else out of life. If they had done Space 1999 today, one that wouldn't make any sense in 2023. But also, you could have like a you know the sphere hover down as a big eye. I actually kind of got that ring around the moon. So 
um, another point retracted. <laughs> I'm just, I, I know what's going to, I know how LEDs work. <laughs> a bunch of it's going to stop working at some point. It'll have those oh, weird have... ones that are always on. Yeah. But I just scrolled to a picture where someone photoshopped the moon from Majora's Zelda Majora's mask onto it. Have you ever okay. played that? Nope. It's but... like the most terrifying thing imaginable. Oh, okay. So it's not like just seeing the real moon. Cause I think they do that. It is, it is unbelievably scary. Like you, it's, it's sort of a thing where you just have to laugh the first time you, you see it in the game because it's just so ridiculous. It's that going is... to drop out of orbit and get you. That's what makes it scary because it's getting closer. Absolutely. That too. But it's also a scary face. I just it... sent it to your, <laughs> I just sent it to your messenger, Matt. So okay. You can thank look you. At it. It's um, been um it's been two years since we talked about it, but that that's the game that is the source for the creepy pasta, is it? No, it's the sequel to that game. Oh, okay. Well, that was close. I think wait, no, 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 no. You you may be right. Now I'm uh. Well while we're while you're doing that, are there any other uh, salient points before I, I bring up a question for this episode? You're right. You it was mentioning... mask. Sorry. Go ahead, Earl. Yeah, you were mentioning Temu. Um, I I had the this horrifyingly funny thought watching the the blue space buckets come back for their air. It's like, hey, we're back for our air. And I thought, oh no, what if this is the part of the story that's really predicting the future? You can have more air if you download our app and pay for a subscription. You'll receive a new blue space bucket of air each month. That's it's uh you know possible well we're seeing right now cars that are trying to sell subscriptions to heated seats and things like that which i think is probably going over terribly right now and may not stick but it's definitely a possibility david copperfield's um, going to make the moon disappear yeah you can have the moon back if you pay david copperfield 12 dollars a month for every person on earth Yes, exactly. It's gonna be he's gonna run a Doctor Evil scheme. Oh no. <laughs> or maybe just blast into orbit with the secret moon base on the other side. I mean, I know Alpha's not supposed to be secret, but we don't know of one, so it'd be secret <laughs> if it's there. We know what we know what Americans are like. Probably half the people don't won't know it's there. <laughs> Let's oh yeah, even if it is public knowledge, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, what well, uh, was it? Something like twenty 20% of people don't know who the president is. I mean, now that number is probably higher because people think the president is someone who it isn't. Don't know or are in denial about it. It's <laughs> just don't know. Like you say the name of the president and they never heard of them level. I, I, I'm baffled. Don't get, I mean, don't ask me. I don't know. I mean, I'm a, I'm a native Georgian and I don't know the current governor of Georgia, but I also haven't been in Georgia for 13 years. So I feel like it could not I get a excuse. The current governor of Georgia is a guy who ran his campaign pointing a gun at a teenager who wanted to date his daughter. Okay. For the campaign ad. So yeah, oh. that's that's what that's our governor. Yeehaw. Okay. I still don't know that's the great. name. That's fine. That's great. Just uh, <laughs> you know what? Just do it like Pan's Labyrinth and just die not knowing who he is. Oh, I thought I was gonna run around with my eyes in my hands okay <laughs> I, was, I was thinking of the ending of pan's labyrinth where the guy's like tell my son and then she's like your son will never know your name and she cuts his throat 
How rude. Uh, sorry, spoilers for a 15-year-old movie. <laughs> well, let's break down this episode. Uh, what percentage of it is existential dread? What percentage of it is sci-fi fun? Uh, Earl, I'll, I'll bop that way. You're first if, uh, if you want to, if you have a split on that. This one almost feels like it's two or three things stitched together. Almost like, you know, the mushroom thing was supposed to be its own episode. And the moon suddenly having an atmosphere granted to it was supposed to be its own episode. And neither one of them would fill out an hour. And so it feels a little bit like a patchwork. Like, so maybe about a 50-50 split on sci-fi fun and existential dread. Of course, we have Barry Gray doing the music because of the season one. I That may tip it over the halfway point on existential dread <laughs> because, as always, Barry Gray's soundtrack does a lot of the heavy lifting and reminding you these people are in a terrible situation. That is a good point. I'm thinking of Red Dwarf, where the first two seasons of Red Dwarf feel very existential dready to me. And that's mostly because of the very austere opening organ theme. And then season three, it gets to the bright, happy music, and a lot of the dread just drains out of the show. Even though the show's basically the same, and they've added Crichton at that point. But it's, it's kind of the same humor, but just, yeah, that table setting really changes the vibe of that show. So the music we're getting in season one is a lot of table setting because my split was actually without i guess i've been hearing the music a lot doing this as a weekly podcast so i was like yeah 80 percent sci-fi fun someone psychedelically tripping around and screaming at people that that's i don't know that's somebody's existential dread but for me it's it was fun to watch i'm i'm not just saying this but that was the same percentage i came up with but i was but i specifically thought to myself it's 80 percent fun and the 20 percent is basically 10 percent uh, at, with that, with great atmosphere comes great responsibility. Yes, <laughs> with great problems, and then ten percent is the thing in the back of your head that's that says this episode is titled "The Last Sunset." Right. That's a well, dread, they, that's a very dready title, isn't it? Well, you get the last You're, sunset at the end, and it looks like a Joe Meek album cover. Yeah, yeah, but that's the thing is that you before you know what the the show's about before you get the atmosphere thing the oxygen the show is called the last sunset so that alone is 10 percent of dread okay and next week you're going to talk about death's other domain so we'll see what happens there yeah yeah <laughs> not the first domain the i don't one. think that's next week's episode for a listener that's just for that i'm i'm giving you the inside baseball oh, the recording God. schedule Oops. we were so close we were so close <laughs> death allowed its first domain to expire and so it had to get the other domain so now it's death.biz yeah, yeah GoDaddy. GoDaddy can has the first death domain ask it's jeeves parked. what it's like to be dead <laughs> <laughs> there I, you, I, can you ask jeeves them. anything is jeeves gone I don't know. You're the man in the chair. See, if, ask Jeeves if he exists. You just type that into Google. Jeeves, do you exist? I'm asking it's, you. It says, ask Jeeves, enhanced by Google, and it has a picture of a three-piece jazz band that's like bad clip art, and the kick drum says, ask Jeeves on it in a really cheap font. Okay. And at the top of the screen, it says, ask Jeeves in a like aerial italic. 
That's a nice font. So what was I supposed to ask? What is it like to die? Yeah, sure. Like the Beatles song. What it's is it like giving me Google results for what it feels like to die. No, that sounds so, too depressing. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. It's just it's just <laughs> capitalism has made Google acquire Ask Jeeves. And when you ask Jeeves to something, you're just Googling it. You're just just Googling. like That's... when you just like when you when you mean to go and Google something and you put tweet about it instead. Yeah, I think you betrayed that when you said powered by Google. So <laughs> I thought maybe Google would power an actual, you know, search of whatever a question answer thingy. It makes me sound like a nutto that I, I use DuckDuckGo as my search engine. The reason uh -huh. being, when I do podcast artwork, it allows me to choose, make a filter for square images, which Google well, does not have. DuckDuckGo was a better search engine than Google, and at some point it started returning, res it started getting even worse at returning results that had nothing. Like you can search for the actual words and quotes and it won't search for the thing. So I've actually had to go back to using Google now. I remember using is... Metacrawler back in the day. That was fun. Yeah, Metacrawler was great. So it was, uh, what was the one? Dogpile, was that it? With a bunch of search engines in it? Okay, so that's Death's other domain, defunct yeah. um, search engines. Got it. Death, yeah. <laughs> the death. The domain of death is all the stuff we used to use on the internet that worked properly. Your, your MySpace page. Mm -hmm. Death, <laughs> dead. I liked MySpace. No, me too. You you go to it now and a bunch of your pictures are gone. Yeah, okay. Um for the last sunset, any other any final thoughts for the episode that you would like to spew into the podcast waves? I love this episode and it's dumb, but I love it anyway because it's very fun <laughs> and and silly and um you 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 feel like you learn a little something even though even if just you're just learning people are humans are bad or maybe our reputation is bad bit of a misogynistic um, episode i guess is that for all people yeah. Or, yeah, okay you you get <laughs> i don't know it's yeah it's, i'd say it's not a terribly uh, optimistic episode but it still has some substance to it mm. <laughs> girl you got a final thought you want to throw on this one well i've got a couple i mean we are talking about you know, this one getting dark and weird. And I mentioned earlier that my other favorite episode is Earthbound. And I think they have something in common at their core, which is both of them are episodes that build up the crew's hope that there is either a way home or a way to create a new home. The problem being that the format of the show is that it is always going to fall victim to a dramatic rule that I call the Gilligan exemption. You know, the coconut raft will always fail to get you away from the island and you're going to have to dog paddle back because we have built standing sets and we can't afford to just trash the status quo of the whole series on a dime. So, yes, hope is hope is fleeting anytime it's given to the crew in this show. However, uh, kind of a question to keep in the back of your minds as you get closer to the end of season one or when you reach the end of season one is uh, you were talking earlier about how this would have been, a, you know, a, a decent place to dispose of Paul Morrow as a character. So whatever happened to him didn't happen off screen between seasons. The more I think about it, the better I like the idea of this being the season ender. 
Most people will tell you that that is either the last enemy or the testament of Arcadia, uh, depending on which episode aired in which region first. But because of the whole scenario we have going on here, that, oh, the moon's just going to be a new Earth. We don't need to get back to Earth. We're going to have our own little Earth. We're going to have a wish app Earth right here on our doorstep. That has more of a full circle feeling from the beginning of the series than the episodes that usually get placed at the end of the season. Yeah, I guess at this point in time, I mean, the cliffhanger was barely a thing, which, uh, and when Mark and I were talking about the, the Prisoner TV series, we, we've had that big talk about finales because we were like, is this the first like set finale in the TV show The Prisoner? This one obviously doesn't have that. They wanted to do season two, maybe season three, which, you know, didn't happen, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it later if season two should have happened or not. But <laughs> yeah, I think that when they were making season two, they were under the impression that there would be a season three from what I've read, but we haven't gotten obviously for obvious reasons, haven't gotten too far into that yet. Yeah. And they made the mistake of hiring Fred Friedberger, who you hired to end your show. <laughs> is that the that's the guy who got booed for taking questions about space 1999 at a convention I possibly think. he also produced <laughs> season three of the original star trek so oh boy and i <laughs> okay. think the last season of six million dollar man was also under him if i'm not mistaken yeah he, not he's familiar like, with that but maybe we'll get to it in six million dollar man cast that's a joke so you don't expect that. destroyer of shows <laughs> let's just do a podcast on that guy and everything <laughs> killer uh, of it'll be our podcast new podcast killer of shows <laughs> well maybe we'll just focus on lou grade like you said go for the muppet show i don't know <laughs> okay did you know there was the logan's run tv series yes did i see it no i mean same, we could do same that with planet same with planet of the apes i've i've I, definitely known of the show for a very long time but i've never bothered to watch much of it i think i have seen a couple episodes of that one though the planet of the apes one well be thinking about it yeah it still is Ryan mcdowell it's cool uh earl yeah. you said points i felt like that was one did you have another one? Oh, that was that that was all both of them but generally i just i really like this episode it's okay the space shroom thing you know, where Morrow is tripping epic balls on the moon. Yes, that's silly. It's like somebody watched Blue Sunshine or Reefer Madness or some other over-the-top histrionic anti-drug film, and that is their whole knowledge of the subject matter. Yeah. That part of the show maybe doesn't come off well, but I give it a pass because the other part of it comes off a lot better the whole thing about we have this you know we're in this terrible situation this thing has happened do we embrace it oh you know it turns out it's it's kind of its own little trojan horse thing i i kind of wish that they had left the mushroom thing off the table and just made the whole show about you know, the moon going green for just one fleeting instant. But it turns out that basically they've been, they've been thrown a bone. They, you know, they've been thrown a dog toy to go chase 
so they don't land on and pollute this other planet. I I might have liked this. I mean, I might have. I don't know. I obviously said it was my favorite episode, but I think it might have worked better on a serious level if one character had been tasked with telling everyone this is this is weird. You guys, I don't know. I don't like this. Like there was, it lacked anybody being a skeptic, really. Yeah, they all kind of got boondoggled. Here's there my was... here's my metaphor for Space Ninety Nine General as a show. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it, we're gonna make him a person. Comes up to you in a very finely pressed suit, looks perfect, has the personality of Martin Short in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to. I there's a final thought that I wanted to give on this episode that I forgot, which is the fight between Paul and Koenig is actually really good and well edited unlike a lot of fights we've seen in this series possibly uh and in particular when paul just sort of walks up to him and then koenig just does a little thing where he just flips him with his arm and just completely shrugs him off is super awesome <laughs> that is uh, uh yeah inspired I, I, the, the sucker punch rated high on my sucker punch scale at the end okay. yeah it was it was um that was uh, heavily, I thought it was very inspired um, brawl there. I guess as we close things out today, um, yeah, actually, Earl, this is a real question for you because I, I guess Mission Log is getting back to the proper mission and, and genealogy is going to be its own thing now. How How's that going to work uh, for people that might want to check that out? We are actually discussing that in real time right now, how that's going to shake out. What will probably happen is that genealogy will move to a different day of the week. Now, it started out in the mission log feed on mission log day, which is Thursday, but it was always intended to be its own thing separate from mission log. So mission log comes back, genealogy is just going to move. It's not a gap filler. It's a new permanent thing on the schedule. So it will move to a different day, it will get its own feed probably at the beginning of the year because the way we did this sort of out of necessity because of the strike, putting it in the mission log feed exposed quite a few people to it who might not have listened to it otherwise if we had just said, oh, hey, we've got this new podcast over here. You know, instead we exposed it to the entire listener base of mission log and we've gotten some varying responses. You know, we've we've had some people like, you know, where's where's the Star Trek? What is this? It, no matter how many times it has been explained on the show why this is happening, it's oh. uh, you know, you still have people who haven't been listening to a word we say, but it will move to its own day. It will get its own feed separate from Mission Log, and. It's, you know, it's on the schedule. We plan to keep going. Awesome. Well, it's like, that's why we're glad we don't have listeners on this show, because no one bothers us. <laughs> don't ask us for anything. <laughs> don't ask us for anything if anyone is listening. <laughs> but yeah, I, I will say, like, you know, at first, it's like, eh, do I want to hear that? And with the strike, we did. And it's, hey, this is actually interesting stuff. So again, it feel, it's a little bit like a early television graduate course, as I said, if you're if that appeals to you, I, what yeah, was it? If, I was looking up uh, the, um, oh, now I, I the, the DuPont network 
I actually looked up that book, which is really expensive on um, the Forgotten Network. It's kind of expensive on Amazon. So I haven't read it yet, but <laughs> that was like the fourth TV network, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, was like, I didn't know about that. That's insane. There were more choices in 1954 than 1964. I didn't know that. <laughs> well, um, the UPN before UPN, right? <laughs> yeah, it was weird that they had Smallville in 1954. Oh, oh, right. Okay, sorry. That wasn't I, even I, UPN. That wasn't I, even UPN. That, that's why it didn't work out for my brain. Also, I never watched <laughs> Smallville, so I had like three things going against yeah. me there. It was pretty bad. You don't really need to watch it. Okay. I mean, it, it was whatever. I mean, Superman only shows up in the last shot and he looks like crap is why I've yep. heard. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's anyway. the um it's like the, were you did you watch the X-Files and think to yourself there were way too many aliens in this and I wish that they just didn't have any aliens at all until 10 years in? Then Smallville is for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh Mark, tell them where we at. We at Podcastio Podcastius on Patreon show up for bonus content to uh, early episodes, deleted scenes, scenes that were not deleted. Um, throw us a few bucks for server costs. Uh, you can find us on Facebook podcast 1999. You can also find podcasts like Films and Filth, the Citizen Kane of podcasts going over the top and bottom 100 IMDb film rated imdb films, films rated IMDb. by imdb users <laughs> i was doing so well <laughs> i mean okay um game game show game show about games luke loves pokemon going over all the pokemon hyrule field report about zelda tears of the kingdom occult disney examining the occult connections in your favorite and least favorite disney works uh time enough podcast going over the twilight zone and I think you ran out of gas podcast on the podcast. Nineteen ninety nine. The that. final not, podcast. Not, now you're just now <laughs> you're just going in circles. It. Let's. I'm just gonna a, do it. I'm gonna put a last sunset on your plug. All right. Uh, see you in hell. It's it's nighttime forever. <laughs>